This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome into the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. And I'm joined once again today by Kevin Flaherty. We're going to break down what was a busy kind of first few days of July as KU kind of gets close to putting a bow on its 2024 recruiting class here as kind of the start of these senior seasons start to get underway, workouts still going on, and as KU looks to get focused on its own 2023 season. Kevin, we're both coming off a little bit of a vacation. I just got back into town yesterday after spent about a week in Mexico, which was a lot of fun. Was able to relax, got some work in, obviously, with two commitments. But, Kevin, what have your vacations been looking like here over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I uh, I spent a uh, spent a week out in the uh, Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, you know, came back with with more moonshine than probably anyone or or two people should come back with. Uh, But that's what you do when you're out there. You look for bears, you enjoy nature, get some hiking done grow out the beard a little bit and then, mm-hmm. uh, and then find yourself some, uh, some moonshine. How was Mexico? It was fun. It was fun. I hadn't been, uh, fishing on the ocean before. So we went and did that. That was a blast. And Catch for a family reunion. Oh uh, yeah. We caught some, uh, mahi mahi and, uh, some kind of tuna as well. So it was a blast. Nice. Caught some shark. Nice. That was weird. But yeah, I'd never done like deep sea fishing before. So that was a blast, but it was a family reunion. So it's always a little interesting when you're doing the vacation, spending time with the grandparents, things like that. Um, So it was a lot of fun, but I'm so happy to be back. I didn't think I'd ever be happier to be back in a a routine. And Kevin, let's just dive right into this. You know, it's been a huge week for the Kansas football program on the recruiting trail. Instead of flipping a coin to decide who we're going to start with, I'll just let you pick. Um, who do you want to start with the guy that committed first or arguably the biggest commitment in key football history? Yeah. You know, I, I had this whole transition mapped out where I was going to go from, you know, well, Lance Leipold also caught a couple big fish, you know, in, in his own, in his own expeditions. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because I almost feel like we should, we should mention both as a group and then get into one of them. And so, you know, sure. the first to commit, you know, Deshaun Werner, the, uh, the edge rusher from desert edge completing the, the desert edge, you know, trio. Um, although they are, uh, also hitting up desert edge in 2025. So, you know, it's, uh, maybe, uh, maybe not the, the last guy, uh, from desert edge overall, but, uh, re- really good defensive end prospect, um, has all the things that you look for probably would have been the single biggest get, you know, on most weeks, you know, for, for Kansas. And, and I know what, what his rankings say and things like that. We'll talk about that in a minute, but then a few days later, 
something else happened, Michael. What uh, what did you think about Kansas's uh, second get of uh, of July? Yeah, I don't know about surprise, but I think the feeling maybe was at least at you know at the end of the recruiting period, right when the dead period started, right after the final visits, was kind of you know maybe Dak Brinkley will wait until the fall. He had taken the visit to Kansas in early June was a part of kind of that first big official visit weekend. You know, we'd reported then, right. That, that KU made a very strong impression on him and was definitely in the mix to land him. He, he buys his time, waits, takes a visit to SMU. And then again, it felt like he was probably going to wait until the season. But I think there's a chain reaction here where Deshaun Warner goes and makes his commitment public, right. Or yeah. in the afternoon, right on, on July 1st. And then uh, my understanding is that Dak Brinkley called KU that same day and gave them his commitment. And so it's one of these kind of with a swoop, Kansas knocks out its big, really need at defensive end with two really high potential guys. You know, you look at Brinkley, the offer list. Obviously, I think fans might have some questions about the official visit list. We can probably talk about that as well, where maybe some programs see him as maybe a bit of a tweener. I think he's the perfect fit for what Kansas looks for. And I think generally this recruiting cycle, you've seen Kansas rely on that, right? Their evaluation of where a player fits in their program. And they've really, really stuck to that. And I think it pays off with a guy like Dak Brinkley, where you look at his recruitment, right? Kansas offers him in January. Jordan Peterson really recruits him hard. Taiwo Onotolu gets involved. Lance Leipold's involved. It's a whole staff effort really recruiting him and his family, and it pays off with a guy who, Kevin, if he signs in December, will be and keeps his composite rating. Got to mention that as well. But he'll be the highest rated high school commitment for Kansas in history since 2002 when really all this started to happen. And so I think it's just a huge commitment. Kevin, I don't know if you got a heads up on it or if I – I don't think I even – I kept it quiet. Like I didn't – to text anybody so maybe you didn't but what was your first reaction when you saw this pop through on the fourth of july yeah i i thought you know again like you said it wasn't necessarily a surprise that he chose kansas maybe it was a little bit of a surprise the timing that he did it you know as early as he did and i think that's a little bit of a theme in this class you know a lot of these guys it, it seems like mm-hmm. kansas puts itself into a strong position with and they commit and you wind up hearing well we thought this guy was was going to stretch this out a little bit longer. It, it was like that with Isaiah Marshall. You know, it was a guy that I think Kansas thought, hey, this is a guy that we're really going to have to to go to war for and, and you know, fight off people with a stick. And, and he committed really early, has been a big part of recruiting this class himself. And, and, and so the timing, I think, struck me more than anything. But like you said in the past, too, Kansas knows what it values in, in terms of what they look for at, at certain positions, and they don't go outside of that. They know what they want, and and those are going to be the guys that, that they go after. If they didn't get Dak Brinkley, they were probably going to go get somebody else kind of like Dak Brinkley for the, for this spot. And, and so I, I think when you, when you look at it that way and, and you look at his fit at Kansas, you know, I, I think he – he plugs perfectly into sort of that weak side defensive end spot at, at Kansas. When you look at the guys they've had there their first year, they had Kyron Johnson, who was probably 225 pounds, you know, at, at the time. And while Kyron maybe wasn't the ideal physical fit for that position, you know, last year Lonnie Phelps was what, probably 240, maybe 245 ish. 
Uh, I know he was, I think, like 244 at the combine, but midseason, he was probably somewhere around there. You know, you look at this year, a guy that is going to have a chance to to be there at that spot is a guy like Dylan Brooks, who's 235, 240 pounds. You know, you're maybe hoping he gets a little bit more weight there. And, and so you look at a guy like Dak Brinkley, and some places are going to say, hey, we want both of our defensive ends to be 260 pounds, 255 pounds, whatever. Um, I really think that Brinkley is a guy heading to Kansas that that kind of fits what they already look for in that size archetype. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I think you look at, so I think they'll start here, right? Fit. The athleticism is, I think, his biggest asset, right? You see some of these clips for those watching on the YouTube channel. You see how fast he gets off the edge. And you look at what he does at the high school level there. It's impressive, right? The way that he moves, the way he comes off the ball. These are really, really impressive things. And I think there are probably some schools that felt like, okay, we're a 3-4 defense or we're kind of a 3-3-5, one of those modern defenses. Well, you know, is he kind of a, a three-man front defensive end? Definitely not, right? I don't think he's got the ability to get up to that, you know, 265-pound defensive end mark that I think some sure. schools like that might want. Well, then, okay, is he a linebacker? Then you look at him and you say, okay, I would say maybe the fluidity is there to play linebacker. Maybe other schools don't. That's perfectly fine. But I think for what Kansas asks that weak side defensive end spot to do, it's get off the ball, attack, attack, attack. And that's exactly what Dak Brinkley does. What I also love is the fact that he has played in space, right? He's played as an outside linebacker in a 3-4 front. What does that mean? Well, we see KU drop that defensive end into space sometimes, right? We saw it happen with Lonnie Phelps last year. Well, this is a guy now that's comfortable doing that. And so – I think fit, like if you're talking about high school defensive end who's going to play most likely on the weak side, what does that player look like? I'd probably hold up Dak Brinkley and say, yeah, this is it. Like this is probably the the archetype for Kansas recruiting this position. And I think the offer list shows it, right? I think the offer list shows you the athleticism, the measurables, the size. Those are the things that get you an offer from these programs like Penn State, Oregon, Oklahoma. And then you get into the nitty gritty, which is why you decide who are the guys that are going to be the ones that you take in the class. And so overall, I look at it and say, you know, he fits the mold. What comes next? I think now it's just can Kansas really cross the line with them? Yeah, I think so, too. And, you know, you look at uh, the fact he worked at outside linebacker at Texas A&M camp, you know, I mean, and didn't look out of place, according to our Texas A&M guys. This is a guy who's running 11, 200 meter dash. I mean, when you when you add the different parts uh, of of all of that. I I think that it it does add up. I I think Kansas did a really good job to put itself in a strong position to get that commitment. And I I thought it was interesting too. I will talk more about this. I'm sure a little bit later, but when you talk to him or or when 24 seven talked to him, I can't remember, was it Mike Roach that talked to him right after the Kansas visit? And one of the things that. Yeah. Yeah. Mike texted him. Yeah, and one of the things that Brinkley had said really stood out was he felt like Kansas really displayed a family atmosphere more than other places that he had been to. And so when when people start asking all these questions, is this guy going to stick? Is he going to flip? Is he going to do whatever else? You want to build the foundations that, that give a guy a reason to succeed. And yes, the on-field stuff is a big part of it, but the other side of it is – 
you want to build those relationships and you want him to feel like, hey, this is home. Hey, this is family. And, and I think Kansas has done a really good job of, uh, of emphasizing that to him. Exactly. And I think, you know, you mentioned the word family. And I think that's something that really has come across. You talk to a lot of these guys that have committed, right? And I think you made a really good point, Kevin, earlier when you said that guys are shutting down their recruitments, right, and committing maybe sooner than people thought. Jalen yeah. Todd is an example of that, right? I think sure. a lot of people believed that he was going to go visit Iowa at the end of the month. He didn't. Austin Alexander, I think, is the one that probably sparked a lot of this, right? He had the visits yep. to what Indiana, Purdue, Illinois. He kind of said, I'm good. I'm going to go to Kansas and canceled it. I think that type of decision right there sets the precedent for someone like Jalen Todd to do that, for someone like Dak Brinkley to say, hey, look, Kansas is a school that's prioritized me. It feels like home. Why am I going to wait? Why do I owe it to these other schools? If Kansas is a spot where I want to go, then why am I going to wait around until the fall to see what else comes when Kansas could fill up at defensive end as well. So I think KU's sure. done a really good job of that. And I think a really good example of that too is someone like Deshaun Warner, where yep. you talk to him and, you know, Kansas from day one prioritized him. And talking to him, he really mentioned that this Seguro showcase, Kevin, for folks that don't understand, right? Arizona high schools, they have this big kind of showcase in Phoenix. A lot of college coaches go to it. And Kansas had Jordan Peterson. Taiwo Onatolu and Chris Simpson there all wearing the Kansas polo or Kansas sweatshirt, whatever, with the Jayhawk on it. And they had the most coaches there, right? Arizona State had a coach there. Washington had a coach or two. But three coaches there from the same school, all there to watch those Desert Edge guys, really stood out to Deshaun Warner, John John Kamara, Dre um, Gibson as well. So these are all guys that now see that. And I think Kansas did a great job with that. In terms of the story here, I mean, this is pretty – I got a, I give a lot of props to DJ for the way that he handled this because he wanted his decision to be quiet. No yeah. leaks, nothing. He wanted to surprise people. He wanted to surprise John John. He wanted to surprise Dre. So he committed to Kansas on his visit. On that Sunday, he gave Kansas his commitment. Well, he waited until late in the week to tell Texas, wait late in the week to tell Washington. Well – Typically, Kevin, and I think you know this as well, working in Texas, that at bigger <laughs> schools, when a kid commits, they tell the coaching staff where they're going to go. Well, I think Deshaun is smart enough to know that at a school like Texas, there's a good chance that you tell them where you're going. They're probably going to put it out there that, oh, we missed on him. He's going here. And that would result in a crystal ball pick. Well, that's kind of what happened and kind of did a little misleading, a little deke maneuver, told Texas he was going to go to Washington. Washington crystal ball comes in. He commits to Kansas that Saturday. Um, you know, my crystal ball didn't change. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. you know? um, but yeah. no. So I think overall, this is one of those where credit to DJ. He wanted to keep it quiet. I think it, you can see how much it meant for his teammates too. I don't have the video here for folks watching on YouTube, but it's a really cool video. If you go to, um, I think my social media on my Twitter, if Twitter's still working, um, you click on the media and you can go see it. But, you know, Kamara, John, John and, and Dre were just so excited. They jumped on him really happy. And I think it's a cool story, right? You got three guys from the same high school class, two of them are their cousins and they're all going to get to go play college football together. And I think Cave's getting a darn good player too. I'll let you talk about that. Cause I think you have some thoughts about just Deshaun as a player and, and what he is and what he can be. Yeah. I think too, you know, in our line of work, how many times do we wind up breaking a commitment, not from the staff that we're immediately talking to or the staff that winds up getting him, but you wind up hearing it from 
the other staff. You wind up hearing it from one of the other staffs involved in the recruitment. You know, maybe they're looking at five different schools. And so you don't just ask the one school about it. You ask the other schools if you have a chance and say, hey, what do you think? Where do you think this guy's going? And so kind of uh, kind of cool for DJ to 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 pull the little switcheroo there and uh, and make that work. But no, he's a really good player. And, you know, like I said, we, we would talk a little bit about the ranking. Our guys do a great job. Um, and, and they see so many different guys and across the country. And, you know, it, it's so tough to compare a kid from Hiawatha, Kansas, to a kid who's out in Wyoming, to a kid who's in Los Angeles, and and so on and so forth. Uh, with Deshaun, I, I have to think, and, and I, I think you're there with me, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. I have to think this is a guy that if we get somebody out to see him in person – as a senior that he'll have a chance to to have that rankings bump I, I think the tape is there I think what you see on tape physically in terms of him being a guy that very much legitimately looks a legitimate 6-4 and, and has a lot of length you know you and I talked before we started I said he looks like a shooting guard like if you dumped him out you know on a basketball court somewhere you know that that's the way that he would look and it's kind of funny because you know Dak Brinkley is thicker now. He's more boxy. You know, he's a little bit shorter. Um, and he's going to play the weak side spot. But Warner's got such a big frame. And, and when you look at that, I don't see him having any issue getting up to the size of a guy like Jeremy Robinson or, or somebody like that when you look at that strong side defensive end spot. Now, what I will say, I really liked Jeremy Robinson coming out. Um, and, and he was a guy that, that I had talked quite a bit about Deshaun Warner is so fluid for his size mm-hmm. and he changes direction so well for his size. I, I really think, you know, when you look for an edge guy, the the things you want are you want length and you want twitch, you want athleticism. And I think Warner is a guy who gives you that frame to be able to get a lot bigger, but at the same time, Swain, I, I really like him athletically in terms of the way he moves, the way he can change direction, and, and the way you know he's got—I uh, tweeted about it—but he's got that Lonnie Phelps move of starting to the outside, and he's so quick when he puts his foot in the ground of being able to cut inside across the tackle's face, and you know, just a, a guy that has tremendous quickness when he does that. Yeah, and this is something I'll write about. I think. Next week, I, I got to plan out my schedule, but he started his career at Desert Edge as a wide receiver. And I think yep. that's what you see sometimes with his pass rush moves is the plant and go ability of someone that looks like they've played wide receiver for a good portion of their life. And I love the motor he plays with, the tenacity he yep. plays with. You know, my player comp for him and our player profile that I do for all these commitments, you know, I thought he looks like a guy that's kind of like Dorrance Armstrong coming out of high school, right? I think the tape the athleticism off the edge, the natural kind of size and frame, all those things are there for him. And so I like that comp too. You mentioned Jeremy Robinson. I think that's a good one as well. I think Warner is one where you could say, Hey, he's going to play on the weak side. Hey, he's going to play on the strong side. I think he's a guy that it's all going to depend on how his body develops and they've got a good strength conditioning program at desert edge. And now it's just going to be, you know, what can Mac Gildersleeve and the coaching staff at KU do with just more time on task. Right the nutrition program, 
all these different things that you get at a power five program like Kansas, how can that body develop over time? But overall, I mean, you look at the two guys Kansas got, right? I mean, multiple power five offers, right? For Warner, right? He could have committed to Washington. He could have committed to Oregon state, um, Texas, if he maybe just depends on how the other players would have shaken out there. But I just look overall and say this, these two players are really the types of players that can change a defensive line group in the future. Because we've talked about it before, Kevin, right? That the defensive line group needs more young bodies, right? It needs freshmen, sure. it needs retro freshmen. And they've added guys through the portal, but they need more young blood. And I think these two guys are going to be great. And now all of a sudden you're looking at this class overall. In the top end of the class, Kevin, I mean, overall, it's pretty defense heavy, right? In terms yep. of ordering this based off 24 Exactly. Right. And so you go Dak Brinkley to Austin Alexander to Damani Maxson to Jalen Todd. Right. The first four players in this class in terms of composite rating are on defense. Right. You got three defensive backs and Alexander Maxson and Todd, one defensive end and Brinkley. Right. Then Harry Stewart running back, then Deshaun Warner at defensive end. And so I think defense, this is a question we got from someone on Twitter. Um, you know, what position groups on the offensive and defensive side were top priority for this class. You know, I think just defense in general, really improving the overall athleticism of the group was something that was a big priority for them. And I think they really accomplished that. And outside of that, I think quarterback, I think was a really big priority and they were able to accomplish that as well. But I mean, Kevin, you look at the ranking, right? 38 overall, it's the highest average commit rating, just a shade under 87. Once Kenny and Nene gets factored into the composite, um, it's got the basically the highest rated high school commit um, of all time for Kansas. It's got the most talent overall. Three, four stars is the most since 2010. Like overall, where do you feel like Kansas is with this class? I think it's easily right now on track to be the best recruiting class for Kansas since 24-7 sports started covering the stuff in 2010. But just what are your kind of general thoughts on the class here as we get into really the thick of July? Yeah, and I, I think, too, you know, we, we always talk about the top part of the class. I, I think this is also a class that doesn't seem to have a whole lot of holes in it in terms of depth. You know, we've, yeah. we've talked about Carson Brune at, at length, and, and the reason I bring him up is just because Carson is a guy that, you know, by ranking is one of the lower-ranked guys in the class. But you look at him, he had, you know, multiple Power 5 offers. He was a guy that, you know – when you talk to coaches who have went by his high school or saw him play, you know, and, and I'm talking about college coaches, you know, they're incredibly complimentary. They say, Hey, that, that guy's going to fit perfectly at Kansas. And when you have that at the bottom of your class, you know, where you're looking at it that way, you know, I, I and I thought, I thought they did a good job with that last year too. Um, Swain and we were talking about it and you're just talking about the defense and then wanting to get more athletic. I think when you look at last year's class and add it to this year's class, and when you look at what they did at defensive tackle in last year's mm. class, with the body types that they went out and got, the the Marcus Calvin types and guys like that, and then all of a sudden you're adding this edge talent. You add the the linebackers that they were able to get, both in terms of Logan Brantley in last year's class, Kamara, you know, and, and – uh, and the way that they've gone in this year's class. And then in this class, I mean, they have flat attacked defensive back. I mean, and, it, and it's, they, they've done a really good job of it. And I think 
we talk all the time about the need for for death and it used to be you need that in the big 12 now you need it across college football in general i mean we just saw lucas van ness get drafted in the first round from iowa without starting a game i mean he was in their rotation but he was a and, and that's the thing you know you when when Brinkley committed, and I realize I'm jumping around a little bit here, but when he committed, somebody had asked me, you know, do you think this will have an impact on Warner or vice versa in terms of, you know, hey, one of them might go? And and I was just thinking, well, there, one, there's only two defensive ends in the class. I mean, they could both play at the same time. But even beyond that, I think that the way college football has gone and the need for depth and everything else if you're in that rotation and you're getting those opportunities and everything, then you're going to have a chance to, to have hit your goals and get on the field quite a bit because it, it's all hands on deck. I mean, they want to have enough guys to really rotate through and get a lot of reps on a lot of different guys. Yeah. And this might be a silly point, but like look at the best team in college football last year in the last couple of years, right? It's Georgia. And what do yeah. they do every single year? They lose five defensive starters that are first-round picks. What do they do the next year? They replace them with five other first-round <laughs> picks. You know, it's just something where in college football these days, you need to have kind of waves of depth. And I think yeah. you look overall at the recruiting class, right, building the depth of the defense over the last, you know, high school ranks, whether it be through the portal, they've done that. And so I think overall now it's kind of a question of, all right, well, what's next? And I think there's been – um, rightfully so, you know, talk on or not talk, uh, plenty of movement on social media regarding Michael Boganowski, sure. right? The, the, what we would consider probably the number one prospect in the state of Kansas, uh, a yeah. linebacker from Junction City. Um, he took an official visit to Kansas. He took official visits also to Florida State and Stanford, and then Oklahoma and Kansas State are kind of the other main two. And uh, the other day, KU put a graphic out for its commits to kind of tweet at Boganowski. And this is something that is a very concerted effort, right? These commits all have a group chat and they all get sent a graphic and they say, Hey, would you mind sending this at, you know, send it to Michael, tweet at Michael, whatever. And they do it because of course these commits want the best for Kansas. So they're going to recruit the guys that can't, the coaches are recruiting as well. And I think it gives another layer where you're seeing a lot of these players, just tweet at Michael Boganowski, say, hey, we want you here too. And so it just adds another layer. But in terms of the actual recruitment, Kevin, we've got plenty of questions, more than I can count, um, <laughs> whether it be from the message board or on Twitter. Um, just what do you what's your feel on this recruitment right now? Because the belief is that, you know, he's not going to take a ton of time, right? This isn't going to go into August or September, right? The thought is he's going to decide this month. Yeah, and I, you know, if you were asking me to handicap it, I would probably say Oklahoma and Kansas State still seem, you know, like they're out in front. But I, I will say this. <laughs> I think Kansas has done a really good job in this recruitment, for one thing. And another thing, too, you know, his dad has a lot of ties to Kansas State. He played in New Mexico State, mm -hmm. but, you know, he knows a lot of the coaches and has a lot of different connections there. He, and I, at the same time, I really have to applaud the way that they've kind of kept it open. You know, they've given Kansas every chance here. It's not the sort of thing where you see guys in every class that, you know, are locked into K-State and it doesn't matter if, you know, if Kansas comes to them with the best opportunity or whatever else, they're just, they're going to K-State. There was a kid a couple of years ago that KU wanted to offer in state and instead 
he never came to Lawrence and then took a walk-on spot at K-State when KU wanted to offer him a scholarship. And you, the hope, obviously, is that as you know, Kansas experiences more consistent success in football, you're going to get some the other way too, right? That there are going to be guys who grew up KU fans and and they're going to go that way. But despite all of those ties and everything, and I think if you would have asked us to handicap this thing in January, we probably would have said, hey, K-State or Oklahoma, you know, still took the official visit. They've still, you know, gone ahead and, and talked to the other Kansas recruits. They've, you know, they've done everything I feel like to give Kansas a fair shot in here. It's just a question of can Kansas kind of get over the hump there you know, you, you think about the Kansas State ties one. The other thing is Brent Venables has a heck of a pitch to athletic Kansas linebackers yeah. after having Victor Simmons at Clemson and now Jaron Canick, you know, who looks like he's going to start at Oklahoma this year. And, and so I, I think when you look at that and the fact that Oklahoma, even traditionally, you know, even back when Venables was defensive coordinator at Oklahoma, Oklahoma's shown an ability to – to come into Kansas and kind of poach the top guy when Oklahoma has really wanted him. Um, I, I think those two would probably be out front if you were just asking me to handicap it. I don't know. Do you have a different feel on this or, or what's kind of your thought? No, I tend to agree. And look, if Michael Boganaski picks Kansas state, it's not going to be because his dad has connections there. Sure. It's going to be because he wants to go there. I think that's probably backing up what you're saying there, Kevin, about, I think this is all Michael's decision where Michael wants to go. He will be able to go and Kansas has done its best. They've recruited him hard. They've made him a priority. And it's another situation where if he goes elsewhere, can't you just throw your hands up and say, all right. And I think having recruits tweet this graphic at Michael, having the coaches still recruit him hard. It's just all of a part of Kansas really trying to finish this recruitment strong and do everything they can and this is exactly what you do when you are trying to do everything you can to land a guy and so it's just a part of the process and i think local recruiting as time goes on right as kansas has more success they're more consistent as a program it will change but we're still in the part of i think the local recruiting rebuild is what i'll call it where there are going to be guys that still ku is going to do everything possible to get and they're just not going to want to go to kansas and that's okay. It's that's how it works sometimes, right? And yep. so I think, you know, I, Michael Boganaski could pick Kansas. You know, I'd, I'd probably be a little bit surprised if he did at this point just based on what, what I've heard. But I'm certainly not going to rule out Kansas, and we'll just have to see where he decides because I think it's a close one between K-State and Oklahoma, and I think KU's kind of sitting there ready to make a move and, and trying to make a move in case – there's a little crack there or a little uh, opportunity for it to happen. But then there's another guy who is going to make a decision on Friday. So maybe by the time you're reading or listening to this, he might already be committed, Um, but it is Nick Marsh. Uh, It sounds like he's likely Michigan state bound. He's someone that was committed to Michigan state decommitted this spring, took visits this summer and seems like he's headed back to Michigan state this has been a wild recruitment to follow is there's been twists and turns. And this is one where Kansas was in it. And it looks like maybe some family keeping close to home is going to be important for him, right? He's got a very close family. And so I think staying close to home will be important for him. But Kevin, let's just say this broadly. What would the addition of if Nick Marsh shocks everybody and commits to Kansas, 
on Friday or if Michael Boganowski commits to Kansas, what would this mean, I think, just for the program overall? And does it mean anything if these guys don't pick Kansas? Yeah, I don't think it means anything uh, if they don't because I, I think – you know, with with Nick Marsh, you were fighting a little bit of an uphill battle in general. Um, it just, I mean, that that is a stacked recruitment with a lot of heavy hitters in there. He was already committed to Michigan State, and and, and let's let's put it out there too. Kansas really valued Nick Marsh, and, and what I mean by that is that Kansas is not going to take a wide receiver in this class probably if it's not Nick Marsh, and so wide receiver wasn't a position of need really after they took the three in last year's class. And, and so the fact that they basically said, we know the numbers say what they say, we've got our receiver groups, except for you, you can come here because we want you this badly, you know, and, and, and they let that play out, right? Like they rolled out the red carpet for him when he visited, they, they really went guns blazing after him in, in recruiting. And so I, I do think, with either of these recruitments, if Kansas loses out, it's not the sort of thing where you're going to look back and point to something and say, Kansas lost this guy because of this or, or because they didn't recruit him hard enough or or whatever else. And, and you know, I, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here, but over the last, you know, 10 or 12 years before Lance Leipold got here, you know, that wasn't always the case. There were a lot of guys that you could point at and say, this is where this recruitment fell apart. This is where they made the mistake. This is where they didn't value this guy enough. Um, Boganowski being the number one guy in the state, if he picks Kansas, I, I think it it sends a message because I'm not sure that Kansas is really – to say they're not in on it is kind of a weird way to phrase it. I don't know that they're going to get another top guy in the state in, in 2024. You know, it, it might – Boganowski might be it. He might be the only guy. And, and so I think it's big from that standpoint. At the same time, I'm sure we're going to get a question about 2025 recruiting in here. They've gotten a really early start in state in 2025, and they've done really well there. So I don't think it it necessarily hurts you there either. So I know that was a broad question, a really long answer, to a broad question, but I mean, what, what were just sort of your general thoughts on, on the Marsh recruitment and everything? Yeah. Look I, to be mentioned alongside this is a big deal to get an official visit from a fringe top 100 player nationally. It speaks to, I think the connection that Chris Simpson has in Detroit. It speaks to, I think KU's ability to just get a look from some of these players. And I think we talked about at the time, Kevin, right? How big college game day was for Kansas, yeah. how big that Arkansas bowl game was and brand awareness is huge in college football. And there's really not much better to do for yourself brand wise than to host college game day in October. First of all, right. Sure. As college football is really heating up in October and then also to play in one of the biggest bowl games that has a lot of people talking, right? Everyone was talking, yeah about Jalen Daniels, the overtime, um, the play with Jason Bean you know, on the negative side of it, but it got a lot of run publicly. And so I think that really helps the overall brand and Kansas really done a great job of capitalizing on it. And look, sure. overall, I think the continuity of staff and the importance of that cannot be understated, right? All these guys, for the most part, had offers going back to last year, 
right? You're looking at a lot of January, December offers where if you have staff turnover, those guys really aren't getting settled until what? First week of February usually. And then you're all of a sudden you're having to learn people and learn who you're recruiting. And so staff continuity, I think overall played a big role in this class, played a role in Kansas getting in the mix for Nick Marsh. And it doesn't mean anything if they don't get Nick Marsh. It doesn't mean anything at all. It's okay. They were in the mix for a top 100 player. If they get in the mix for a few more, that's great news as well because it means there's a, a better chance that Kansas could land one of those kind of big sharks. And so I think broadly, Kevin, let's get to this question. Um, a lot of people have wondered, right, with a class of this quality, with the class of this many guys with Power 5 offers, right, it's a question I think I've gotten a lot on the message board. It's a question I think you've probably gotten on Twitter too, right? Mm-hmm. How difficult will it be? for Kansas to keep these recruits committed when they're still five months from signing day. Quick point. There should be a signing day in August. If kids <laughs> are really committed. They should sure. be down to sign in August and be done with it. Okay. Now you can answer the question that I've gotten that out of the way. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. There was uh, I think it was Sam Mellinger. Maybe it might've been Joe Posnanski wrote a column for the Kansas State star when the Royals started to get good. And he was talking about how, Basically, Royals fans were waiting for the bottom to drop out, right? Like they were waiting for, okay, but then this happened. And the line that was that was in there is, he said, you know, Royals fans feel like there's a monster in the closet. He said, to be fair, for most of Royals fans' lives, there's been a monster in the closet. <laughs> and, and, the, and that applies to, I, I feel like, the KU recruiting stuff as well. You know, look, we've... We all remember the Louisianimals class where Kansas got up to number four, I think, in in the composite rankings. That you know, we we all remember Kansas getting in for for other guys who were really highly recruited and, and mm-hmm. you know, highly regarded guys and highly ranked guys, and then they didn't wind up committing. And and I get all of that. I get the angst about it. I get the under I get the feeling that you know, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. I mean, even, you know, even Mark Mangino had a class. I can't remember if it was 04 or 05 where they had a bunch of guys, you know, sort of back out at the, at the 11th hour. And, you know, it it was, this has been going on a really long time for Kansas fans. They, there's a monster in the closet when it comes to taking highly ranked guys and and getting them, you know, into the barn, so to speak. And, And I think, I say all of that to say that it's also kind of an unfair question, given that that hasn't happened with this staff, for one. For two, none of these guys are committing with the thought of, hey, you know, I'm going to reopen in in August or I'm going to reopen in October or whatever else. Like, it's not like Dak Brinkley committed and he was like, well, you know, I'm in for the next couple months at least or, or whatever, you know, these, these are guys that are legitimately committing to Kansas with the thought and the idea that they're going to be in that signing class. And I think when you add all of that together with this and, and, you know, we taught, we alluded to it earlier, this is a staff that I feel like is really strong on the recruiting trail, not necessarily at being the salesman, you know, can talk a woman in white gloves into eating a ketchup popsicle. Like that's, that's not really who they are, 
they're more the relationship based, right? Yeah. Like they're more the person that grows on you and you get to know them more. And you talked about how long a lot of these guys have had these offers, how long those relationships have built. And I think when you look at that class, I think that's really important and instructive in that I think that this is a group that maybe is more likely than previous groups to stick together because it's built on that foundation of relationships and everything. And don't forget, like the Louisiana animals class was already falling apart in the spring. Like it, it wasn't like all of that group was still together in July, which is where we're at now. So that fall apart sort of happened earlier. Jamar chase was committed for eight days. Like it wasn't like, let, let's not sit here and be like Jamar chase was a long time commit. And then, Oh my God, no, he was committed for eight days. And then he went back to LSU. And so who he was committed to in the first place. So it's one of those things where I do again, understand where Kansas fans are coming from and being nervous about these guys staying together. I do think that this class has a better chance than those previous groups to stick together because of those relationships and the way they built. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a surface level thing. I think it's a little deeper than that. Having said that, Swain, it's still important for KU to put a good product on the field, I think, to kind of reinforce what these guys are signing up for. Exactly, exactly. And so I think obviously, how many times we say last year, Kevin, talking recruiting, right? winning cures all in recruiting and if kansas wins seven games like these guys will stay committed now if kansas goes five and seven i still think 99 percent of them will stay committed and here's why you're looking at this class already having options right they picked kansas over other options this wasn't a situation um i'll use case and wiseman for example he committed after that july um visit period when he visited Florida state, if he really wanted to go to Kansas, he would have committed earlier. Right. It felt like a situation where a guy's waiting now, waiting out. All right. Well, this is what I got. I guess I should take it. That's not what this class is. This class is guys that had options. They could have gone elsewhere and they decided that they wanted to be at Kansas. And now you look ahead to this fall and KU has the relationships built with these players where it's meaningful relationships. Like you said, KU didn't lock these guys in Lance Leipold's office for three hours and force them to commit, right? These are guys that had the opportunity. They had the conversation with Lance Leipold. Hey, here's what commitment looks like. You don't really take visits elsewhere. You don't really, you know, talk to other staff, blah, blah, blah. They basically outline and talk about what it looks like to be committed to Kansas and what Kansas's commitment means to them as well, right? That, hey, you know, we're going to honor the scholarship, blah, 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 things like that. So, I think a good example of this is I experienced this when I was at Iowa state, they recruited over their heads, traditionally best recruiting class and program history mm-hmm. stemming from their 2020 trip to the big 12 title game, winning the Fiesta bowl, right? Yep. That summer they recruited really well. Again, best class and program history. Folks will probably remember that that fall things did not go well. It was a pretty poor season. It resulted in a bowl game, but losing to Clemson. Well, they only lost one commit, and it was Xavier Townsend, who was from Florida and got basically pushed by UCF to flip, and he did. That was the only decommitment. I don't really see anyone maybe filling that mold right here, where it's a kid far away from home. It doesn't really fit geographically. Um, it doesn't really fit overall. Like These guys all fit the culture. They fit the geographical footprint. 
geographical footprint. Um, I think she overall fits Kansas. And so for me, I think if you're projecting forward, that's what makes me have the feeling that this as a class really feels like it'll stick together because it's kind of built on real life values, you know, not to get too like big picture here, but it's like real life stuff. Right. And I think that some of that has the ability to translate wins and losses than the salesman pitch, than having kids be in an office for three hours and forcing them to commit or squeezing kids on a visit. Like I think it's just a different situation. And that gives me at least some comfort in telling fans and telling people that watch this podcast, listen to it that, Hey, there's a, a good shot that this class will stay together through national signing day. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think that's really, that's really well put because I do think that, you know, it, it's, it's kind of funny. I, when you look at that, Louisiana animals class. I always forget yeah. one of the two seasons they went one and 11 and the next season, the other season they went two and 10 and I forget which is which, like if the kids committed right after the one win season or if they committed after the two win season, but then you had another season basically where the bottom dropped out. And I don't see that, uh, you know, I better knock on some wood and everything, but I don't see that happening this year, you know, in terms of the bottom, just absolutely dropping out. But even beyond that, I think that, you know, these guys seem to see themselves as, you know, part of the foundation of something bigger. And I get that they're not technically on the ground floor, you know, going to the bowl game, beating Texas in year one, you know, all of that was the ground floor. But you want to keep building. And Lance Leipold does not want KU to be seven and five every year. He just doesn't. You know, he wants to to keep building. And I think when you see and talk to these guys, a lot of them see themselves as being part uh, of sort of that journey. And so if Kansas does go five and seven, like you said, which wouldn't be disastrous, but also, you know, would be a step back. You wouldn't be going to a bowl game, things like that. I don't necessarily see that having, you know, just sort of this boulder rolling downhill impact on this class either. No, I agree. I agree. So, I mean, Kevin, we're, we're running out of time here. So let's save the class of 2025 talk for a podcast sure. we'll do in a week or two. Um, TLDR, yes, Kansas is getting a head start in the class of 2025, right? Andy Kodernicki was able to spend a lot of June evaluating tight ends in the next class because he already had his tight end committed. That's a good example of what these coaches are able to do during this period. But I want to end with this question because I feel like we're kind of the point now where there's maybe like a spot or two left for blue chip guys or a defensive tackle. So we can kind of look back at this class right now and maybe give some grades for the summer um, as we really kind of get into the next kind of portion of recruiting here. So um, let's start on the offensive side of the ball, Kevin. What sort of grade would you give Kansas for this offensive haul um, this cycle so far? Yeah, it's uh, I, I would probably give them a, a B something. I don't know where, where it would be in that B range, whether it would be a B plus or B minus or whatever. The most important thing was they had to get a quarterback of the future. I mean, that guy wasn't in the program, whatever else. And, and, you know, you go out and and you get Isaiah Marshall. And and so that was big. You get two running backs, you know, Carson Brune being a really good tight end. The, the thing that drags it down a little bit, obviously you don't have any wide receivers. That was 
planned theoretically. If they get Nick Marsh, obviously this grade would, would change. But I think the other part of it is that offensive line group. It, it's not that I don't like them, but I feel like they're um, they're bites at the apple, so to speak. There's not a guy mm-hmm. that maybe gets me as fired up as like a Calvin Clements maybe for like a single guy out of that group. But when you look at that group, I, I think, you know, you can see, you know, scenarios where, Hey, Utley winds up being a, a really good player or, a, you know, they wind up being really good guys. Uh, but I, I think that that's, that's my one thing is with, with them not taking wide receiver with the offensive line group and then, you know, maybe missing on a couple of their quote unquote, you know, higher tier guys, if you will, you know, that that's kind of where I have them on offense. Where do you have them? Yeah, I'd probably go B minus because I'm going to put quarterback into its own tier here. Oh, all in right. Terms all of right. So I ruined it basically. Um, I mean, you know, yeah. For those <laughs> watching, they'll see that there's a little bit of a, there's a quarterback at the end of it here. Um, but I think, yeah, I'd probably give B, B minus. I think Harry Stewart is a really good get. I really like Harry Stewart. Yep. I think he's a really good player. I just look at the three offensive line commits in terms of like the players and the recruitments and the profiles. They're the type of players that maybe I feel like, you know, Scott folks can go out and get every single cycle from here until the end of time. You know, not necessarily ones where it's a huge recruiting battle that Kansas comes out in front of, but guys that you evaluate you stick to your evaluation and you like, and I think those are the offensive linemen. So I'd probably say B, B minus Um, flipping to the defensive side of the ball. Now, what would you give them overall as a grade? Yeah. Defensive side of the ball. I, I go, you know, a minus probably. And I realize that that, that sounds high. And a lot of people, uh, I think a lot of people would say, well, gosh, you're not recruiting like, you know, Georgia here, like, how dare you give them an A or whatever. But for what Kansas wants, right, and what Kansas is recruiting for, and and we've talked about this not just on this podcast, but on the other podcasts where we've talked about the different guys as they committed, those safety guys, they fit what Kansas wants from safeties. When you look at Kamara, Mm -hmm. as we've talked about, Kamara fits the Craig Young spot. Like you can see these guys and plug them into their specific spots uh, on defense. And, and, you know, you look at at the DB group, like I said, you know, they're really good. They fit together really well. They, you know, they fit the dimensions of what they look for at those positions. I, Mm -hmm. I think, getting a defensive tackle would be really good to go with last year's defensive tackle group that I thought was pretty good, but then having the edge guys, you know, as kind of the, the headliners uh, of that group, when you look at Brinkley and Warner, I'd probably give them an a minus for that group. That's the best pass rush duo in terms of two edge guys that I, I think Kansas has probably had in the recruiting database era. And I went back and looked and, you know, if you're, you know, not familiar with our database, that goes back about 20 years or so. So uh, I went back and looked and I couldn't find a class where I would take two high school guys above those two. And so uh, where where would you have the uh, the defensive ranking at? Well, honestly, Kevin, I, I'd go A because yep. here's how I look at it, right? I think you mentioned right there, right? This is the best defensive end class they've ever had. This yep. is actually the best defensive back class. I'll be writing about this in July. But in terms of average offers, 
in terms of average 24-7 sports composite rating. This is the best defensive back class Kansas has ever had. So now you're looking at the basically the secondary best group Kansas has ever had. Defensive end, best group Kansas has, has ever had. You know, linebacker, I think John John Kamara is a guy that long-term has NFL potential. I don't think people really understand how good this kid looks. Like six foot he, four, he and he already could looks have like the Craig best ceiling of anybody in this class, offense or defense. I'm not saying he yeah. reaches that ceiling, but I'm saying if you're just saying, "Hey, where's the ceiling?" He may have the highest ceiling out of anybody in yeah. this class. He, he could be a beast in college. And so, yeah. you know, I look at the spots, right? And they've recruits that Kansas brought in for visits, right? And really, who have they missed on? It's like David Cabongo. Right. Went to Oklahoma State. You know, maybe they'll miss on on Shima Chineke or Tyler Simmons. But it's a group that you look at who they hit on, who they missed. Right. They hit on really the big targets. And as a result, they've really built a strong class. So I'd give them an A on the defensive side of the ball. Now, the quarterback. Plus if Boganowski committed. Maybe I would. Maybe I I would. I mean, if he does. No, I'm not being a wise ass. Like I, I would. I would legitimately upgrade them to to A plus at that point because what what would they have not hit? I mean, def, defensive tackle, you know, they're going to get a defensive tackle in this class somewhere probably. But you just said best edge group, best defensive back group. If you have Kamara and Boganowski in the same linebacker group too, in addition to all of that, I mean, that's that's what an A plus defensive class looks like for Kansas, and they aren't that far off. No, they're not. They're not. And so that's what I would say. And then I think quarterback recruiting, I give you an A minus. Like I just look at Isaiah Marshall, maybe not the tallest guy at six foot. That's maybe one knock you have on him. But I mean, Kevin, this is a quarterback running sub 11 second, hundred meter times, right? Has great arm talent. Like as a dual threat quarterback, a guy that could secede, Come follow Jalen Daniels. God, I can't speak. We're going, for, we're going for 50 minutes here, Kevin. I'm fresh off vacation. I don't have my uh, my sea legs back. So I think you look at him as a guy that could come behind Jalen Daniels as a as a talent. I think he's got all the talent in the world. So I think maybe size would be my one question for him. You know, durability. Can he do it? You know, 12, 13, 14 games um, in a season. You know, obviously it's hard to tell. We'll have to see, but. I think overall, and then collectively for the class, I think right now I'd give it a, a solid A minus B plus, right? Kind of in honestly, what kind of the a lot of the the composite averages are, right? About 88, yeah. 89, 90, you know, yeah. about in there. That's kind of where I'm feeling the class is at right now. Because I think in terms of the needs, they hit them, right? Looking at defensive end, looking at the secondary, they hit them. Quarterback, huge hit. You know, where they missed, okay, offensive line. But I think Kevin, we've talked about this before. Offensive line is one of those positions where either you should be a five-star or you should be an kind of under-the-radar recruit in terms of NFL draft guys. So I think overall it's a class that's in a really good position as July gets going. Kevin, any final thoughts about the class and where it's at? No, I think you're right on the the offensive line too. I, I think Scott Fuchs you know, is a guy that you kind of say, hey, a guy fits these dimensions, he's got this athleticism, now go coach him up. And and he can do it, you know, and mm-hmm. and so it, it's not as important, I don't think, it, at that spot. But no, I, I I'm right there with you on Isaiah Marshall too. You know, I think you watch his tape and you can pretty much superimpose him over Jalen Daniels' highlights. And I'm not saying he's Jalen Daniels. I'm saying he's making the throws and decisions and you know throwing the routes and things like that that Jalen Daniels is doing. 
Um, and, and he's doing it at a really high level. And let's be honest, if he was 6'3 or 6'4, maybe he's not at Kansas. So the the height, you know, not not being a, a huge negative from from that standpoint. But no, it's it's a really strong class at this point. And I do think, you know, that's gonna lead to those of you Kansas fans who are on Twitter, you know, that's gonna lead to you eating some comments from K-State fans and opposing fan bases saying, you know, yeah, but what happens when you lose games and all these guys want to go elsewhere? You're just going to have to deal with that for a little while because nobody would say that to you if your recruiting class wasn't good in the first place. That's a great end. It. That's a great way just <laughs> to like, just like drop the mic, just, just Kevin. Drop, the, drop mic the mic and walk off. I've got my dog I- like snoring right beside me, so – I think she's pretty much told me that she's she's about ready for it to be done. So, I love it. Well, thanks a bunch, Kevin, for jumping on. I'm sure we'll do another one of these probably later in the month. Probably look ahead to 2025, maybe during that unofficial visit period. Um, as for what's next, I'll be in Dallas for Big 12 Media Days. Kansas will go next Wednesday. I'll do a little bit of a Big 12 Media Days recap podcast for you from my hotel room in Dallas. We'll see if Travis Goff speaks again this year like he did uh, last year. Obviously, I think plenty of news and notes will come from that as Lance Leipold really speaks for you know the first time in a couple weeks, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of topics to talk about. So, Kevin, thank you as always for joining, and thank you as always for listening to the Fog.net podcast. We will talk to you again next week.